Welcome to the River D Centre podcast. Listen back to the Sunday worship message recorded live in our church building in Flint, North Wales. Okay, let's take our seats, let's get our Bibles, and uh, <clears throat> it's just very good to talk and to remember each other throughout the week and to pray for each other and to be mindful of what each one of us are going through, ups and downs and some of the needs that we have. So that's great, it's brilliant. Um, if I had a title for today's, uh, this is the last one on disciples, and at the time I've put a title, and it says, The Tale of the Two Judases. Can you say that to the person next to you? The Two Judases. Judases. <laughs> Judas Iscariot. <laughs> Don't laugh too much. <laughs> I hope no one's teeth has fallen out saying that, you know. The Tale of the Two Judases. Um, before I start on that, I want to press the reset button about this word disciple, okay? You know, we were never called to be Christians. We were called to be disciples. The name Christians was a, was a nickname, a, de- a derogatory nickname that came in later. And saying, well, Pastor C, what, what's, the, what's the difference? We were never called to be Christians. We were called to be disciples. We, we've taken on the world has taken on that, that nickname, uh, Christians. And they stand back and say, oh, you know, oh, I'm a Christian. Would you go to church? Well, no, don't. Would you pray? Well, no. You know, do I, do you stand up and profess? That? No. But I've signed when I go to the hospital, oh, I, I, what religion? Christian. But in the beginning, we were called to be disciples. And hopefully, you know, over these last four weeks, we've learned something about the depth of the life of these disciples that we've been looking at. And, um, you know, when I think about the gospel message, the gospel message was never meant just to change someone's life. The gospel message is a message of resurrection. And it's a message that, you know, once we were dead and now we are alive. It was a message to bring people to life. You know, and the, the, the person that just wears that little Christian badge uh, occasionally has, has possibly made one or two little changes to their life, but they haven't been brought from death to life in Christ. And uh, so, you know, without getting too deep or pointing the finger, you know, we, we were never called just to be Christians. We were called to be disciples. And hopefully, you know, we will dig a little bit deeper. Uh, so what's the definition of a true disciple? You know, and I've had to think about this. And I think there's lots of definitions. There's lots of things we could say. But I've just picked one that might be a basis now. Keep it in the back of your mind as we go along. Who We're going to talk about these men called Judas. And the definition of a true disciple... Your love for Jesus and his word, 
is greater than your love for anything else. That's a, that's a hard one, isn't it? That is a hard one. I'll read it again. Your love for Jesus and his word is greater than your love for anything else. And those first New Testament Christians, right at the beginning, they were severely tested on that definition. So let's just go straight into um, talking about Judas Iscariot. You might think, oh, Steve, why are you talking about Judas Iscariot? You know, those, um, you know, when you buy something new and you've got the information, uh, the instructions, and um, if they were all positive instructions, that, that might be okay. But you might go and do something else. I like the instructions that say, don't do this. If you do, it'll blow up. You know, don't do this and don't. So there's positive instructions and there's negative instructions. And I suppose, really, where I'm coming from today with the story of Judas Iscariot is coming from that negative, you know, don't, don't do this. And if you don't do this, then you will do the positive and it will help you along your way. So Judas Iscariot, one of the chosen 12 disciples in the three and a half year uh, ministry of Jesus. The term Judas, the name Judas, the term Judas is forever cast as a synonym for a traitor, for a betrayer, for one who sells his soul for evil gain. Maybe after today, uh, you will not easily think that and you'll think of other good disciples, good men in the Bible who were called Judas. Uh, after all, there were others who were called Judas, good disciples. Even one of Jesus' brothers were called, was called Judas. And remember, one of, this, this, uh, one of the twelve disciples, Judas the son of James, was one of the twelve disciples with Jesus. Okay, who was Judas Iscariot, in case anyone didn't really know? I think we all know this. He was the treasurer. Uh, he held the money bag. But what he did was to pilfer and to steal for himself money from that ministry pot. So he picked that job that he wanted for his own gain. He held a place. This is the sad thing. Judas held a place in the ministry team. But he was never recorded as doing anything of note. And I, I just... It's so sad that he was part of the ministry team. He had that privilege. He had that place. And yet he, you know, he reneged, he betrayed, and he gave it all up for his own ends. Uh, he feigned, he pretended concern for the poor. When at the anointing of Jesus' feet with the costly oil, he spoke and he revealed his true heart, what was, what was really going on inside and this I think this you know there's a couple of mentions of Judas along the way but I think this is pivotal in his thinking of where his heart comes out and in, in two or three of the gospels you read what happens after this and it's very significant so let's just pick up the story John chapter 12 verse 3 to 8 it says this John 12 3 to 8 then Mary took a pound, a weight, of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. This is Mary and Martha. 
in the house there. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. You know, this was very costly oil. And she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. And uh, she would have smelt then of this beautiful oil, which was very costly. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have had with you always, but me you do not have always. So after this crucial part of Judas Iscariot's uh, the record of his life after this it's recorded that he went out it says immediately he went out um, Mark 4.10 and, and some of the other gospels says this then Judas Iscariot one of the twelve went to the chief priests he immediately left and went to the chief priests to betray him to them and when they heard it they were glad and promised to give him money so he sought how he might conveniently betray him I think this was the final straw for Judas when this man Jesus accepted what was probably a year's wage in costly oil poured out on his feet and then onto the floor wiped with the hair of Mary wasted in his eyes his love of money and lack of spiritual awareness drove him to betray the Messiah. You know, I think when anyone betrays their calling or would give up and betray Jesus in their walk, if you like, they're doing it for convenience sake. It's easier to do this than to do that. It's easier for me to deny Christ than to stand up and take the flack. Or it's, it's easier... You know, for me to um, have a hidden life and not have an open life before God and other people to confess my sin. You know, all those things come to the forebear. And it, it was conveniently to betray him. So some of the first lessons we could learn from Judas. And, you know, we've got to take these on ourselves. It? Judas loved money and himself more than Jesus. Think about that definition I said at the beginning there. He also missed the point that to worship Jesus encompassed helping the poor and to help the poor in Jesus' name was to worship Jesus. And he, he wanted to separate them and he wanted the money for himself. The other thing we might learn from this is that worship costs. If we want to worship the Lord, if we want to give Praise to God, not just here with three songs, but to give praise to God in our life. When things go wrong, Julie, to get up the next day and praise God. It costs, it costs. You know, each one of us, it costs to, to keep going and to keep praising God uh, and to keep worshipping him will cost. And there was Mary probably saving this this 
precious oil that was worth 300 denarii, you know, a huge amount, got it out the cupboard and poured it on the feet of Jesus. Lastly, Judas wasted his ministry and sold his calling down the line. How many Christians have sold their calling down the line because uh, apathy took over or um, th their fear of man or fear of stepping out was stronger than that voice inside that said, I have got something for you to do. I have got something uh, for ministry in your life. Judas wasted his ministry and sold his calling down the line. You know, here at River Day, we want everyone to have some part in the ministry of the local church. Even, even if it's uh, saying hello to someone, praying for someone, uh, giving your tithe or your offering, whatever it is, it, you might be leading a group. Uh, the Americans are coming in, uh, in June, and there's 13 of them coming, would you believe? So we've got to, we've got to sort of like, we've got, we've got to step up, actually. We've really got to step up. I was all right announcing that, Ben. It's definitely 13, isn't it? Yeah, 13 are coming. And we, we've got to sort of like say, well, okay, we want to ask everyone to help somewhere. So let's be ready to join as they join with us to minister. Uh, and the second part of looking at Judas Iscariot, I just, want to, I just want to address the elephant in the room, Okay. The elephant in the room. What's the ele Every time I've ever spoken to anyone about Judas Iscariot being one of the disciples, it always comes up more or less straight away. Why did Jesus, who knew him from the beginning, that Judas Iscariot would betray him, why did Jesus choose him at all in the first place to be part of the Twelve? So this, you know, we could spend probably a week going down all the different rabbit trails of what it could be. But it's very simple, really, and you might think it's a bit of a cop-out, but, you know, we can only speak, I think, of fulfilling Scripture. The Gospel writers often recorded, and Jesus did this to fulfill the Scripture. And Jesus did this to fulfill the Scripture. And I don't think there's any other plausible reason Oh, well, uh, Jesus wasn't really the son of God, so he didn't really know. No. Or, or Jesus chose him just that he might have a change of heart and become a follower, a true follower in the end. Well, no, Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew that that wasn't going to happen. So it, it is a bit of a tough one. So what are the scriptures? Uh, Psalms 41.9 says this, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Zechariah 11.12.13 says this, Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. This is 500 years before Christ. 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. So they knew, they knew, Jews knew, all down those hundreds of years, 
up until the Messiah suddenly came into the temple, suddenly came on the scene. They knew that someone was going to betray the Messiah, and it was foretold. And when the church assembled in the upper room, 120 named and numbered people, men and women of the church, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come on the day of Pentecost, the elephant in the room was addressed first by Peter. This is the first thing that they, they spoke about. So it's in Acts chapter 1 verse 15. It says, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether the number of names was about 120. And he said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in, his mini in this ministry now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong <clears throat> he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out and it became known to those dwelling in Jerusalem that this field is called, in their own language, Akeldama, that is the field of blood. So Judas at the Last Supper denied the Messiahship of Jesus and he took the sop of bread offered to indicate his guilt and opened his heart to Satan. It says that Satan came into Judas on that, on that night. And from that moment on there was no turning back. No turning back for him. Racked with guilt, he returned the blood money and threw it back into the temple like Zechariah prophesied. And it's recorded that the hypocritical temple leaders would not accept the blood money. You know, money that they'd paid, oh, it, this is a holy place, so we can't accept the money back into the temple. So what did they do? They bought a field, they bought the potter's field to bury undesirables to bury Judas in the potter's field. So that is a very, very sad story. And I hope, you know, we've, we've learned something from the negative side of, you know, why, why is it in the Bible? You might be thinking, why are we preaching on this? It's not very uplifting. But it's there in the Bible, and it's there as a lesson. So what's the last lessons we could learn from this story? Determine in your life to honor your calling to be a disciple who follows Jesus. So, you know, how does that look? Well, you know, you're going to be thinking and praying in the week. It's not just here on a Sunday morning. If this is the only Bible that you're hearing in the week, then, you know, you've got to question your discipleship. Your discipleship needs to have that word in the week and every day. You know, it's just the old Sunday school thing, you know, praying, reading the Bible, you know, being willing and ready. And you've made your mind up that you're going to wear that discipleship on your heart and it's going to be part of your life. And you're going to pay the price. You're going to pay that price of worship and of following the Lord. Um, so determine in your life to honor your calling to be disciples who follow Jesus. It says in uh, Corinthians 
um, you know, behold, all things have passed away. Old things have gone. Behold, all things are new in Christ. And that word new doesn't mean uh, a spit and polish to, uh, you know, get the mud off your shoes. It's a new pair of shoes. It's not something that's been refurbished. It's a new thing. So the old has completely gone. And that resurrected gospel resurrection person, you know, just look around and all these people here, all of us here, hopefully have experienced that resurrection new life that God has brought to us. And then lastly, check your hearts, your heart's love and your devotions to Jesus. And if we're all honest, all of us need to admit that we've failed on this. That things, stuff, people, relationships, self, they all vie, they all fight, they all strive for superiority over the love of the Savior in us. And there's always that battle going on, isn't there? And we need to make our minds up that, yeah, I am a disciple, I am following Jesus, and I want my love to be greater for Jesus and his word than any love for anything else in this world. And I believe that if we do that, we won't be going far wrong. But we all have to admit, <laughs> you know, I'm the first to put my hand up, that, you know, I, I love my comfort. Uh, you know, um, I said to Luke one day, which is Gramps' chair in this house? And he looked around and said, everyone. <laughs> Gramps loves every chair to sit down. I love my comfort. We love this. We love that. We love our food. We, we, we love, you know, things that we are interested in. But we've got to be very careful but that that love is not greater than the love of Jesus and his word. Okay, that's the, the negative instruction. Now we're going to just look, just in the last couple of minutes, uh, I want to look at another Judas in the Bible. And um, there is a connection, really, from that moment when Peter addressed the 120 in the upper room and he, he, he addressed the elephant in the room about, you know, about Judas Iscariot. The very next thing he did in front of the whole church was decide who was going to take his place. So they put two names into a lottery. Um, don't believe in lotteries. We, we had a million pounds. We didn't even buy a ticket. We took the money back from them and put it back into the community. I've never bought a lottery ticket. So from what I'm going to say now, don't think that I agree with lottery. Um, but they put two names into the lottery, uh, a guy called Joseph Barsabas and another one called Matthias. And they cast lots. And the lot came out for Matthias. And so Matthias took the place of Judas Iscariot. And we don't hear an awful lot about him. Um, This was the last time, actually, that lottery, that, that casting lots was ever mentioned in the Bible. From then on, it was the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you think, well, did, does God really know what's going on in the lottery? Well, yeah, he does, actually. 
you know, we think back, well, how do I know? In the Bible, in the Old Testament, uh, think of the story of Jonah. When the ship was sinking, the storm, they, the sailors realized this is, this is terrible. This is some God who is destroying us. And, you know, and, and in the end, they cast lots. And it says the lot fell on Jonah. And I believe that God was in that picking of that lot. And he was in this lot here. But after that, the sacred lot was never mentioned again. And it's the Holy Spirit. And, uh, but I just want to think about this. You know, imagine not being picked in this sacred lottery. So Joseph Barsabas was not picked. That must have been really, you know, upsetting, you know. Well, I wanted to be one of the 12. I, I put my name forward. And, um, you know, God in his wisdom didn't pick me, he picked Matthias. And he could have really, really uh, been offended by this. Now, Joseph Barsabas had a brother, and his name was Judas. Judas Barsabas. And that's the one I'm going to talk about. So Judas, his brother, he could have been offended. He could have, he could have took second offense. You've noticed that, haven't you? When um, someone upsets your kid, you take, you take real offense at that. Or, or your wife has been upset, you take second offense. And very often, the, the, the other partner can be more upset than the, the one who's received the, the ill treatment. Uh, my brother wasn't chosen. Will God allow me now to minister and be a help in the new Christian church? So we're going to read about Judas, uh, this other Judas uh, that is mentioned. So if we skip over to Acts chapter 15, verse 22. And it's all about this great question about Gentiles. Are they... You know, up until that point, the Christian church was Jewish. Most people in the Christian church, in that early church, were Jews. And there was this big question that if the Gentiles were allowed to come in, they have to follow the law, they, they have to be circumcised, they have to do this, they have to do that. And they were battling with this question. And in the end, they had the Jerusalem Council, and they said, no, if Gentiles come in, they don't have to follow the law. You know, and that, that's us. Praise God that we don't have to do all those laws, all the Old Testament stuff. We, we, we read some of the Old Testament stuff last night in Deuteronomy, and it, it is just way out. You know, you would not like to know some of the stuff, uh, or to do some of the stuff that they had to do in the Old Testament. And so we pick up the story. Uh, Acts chapter 15, 22, it says this. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So they'd made this decision. They'd written a letter, and they were going to give this letter to these four guys and they were going to go up to the great church of Antioch, which was in Syria, further up uh, north from Jerusalem. And they were going to, you know, from that point, you know, Antioch was the, the missional church that went out into all the world. When, when Paul left on his journeys, he left the Antioch church to go into all the world. 
and spread the gospel. So this was, a, this was second to Jerusalem. This was the main church. And they chose this guy called Judas. I'm going to just read a little bit uh, about his life. And they wrote the letter. And it says, Apostles, this is the letter. Apostles, the elders and the brethren. To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words. These are the, the, uh, the Jewish Christians that were trying to get new Christians to follow the law of, Christ, uh, of the Old Testament. And it says they've written words unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and you must keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas. So they've risked their lives. They've loved Jesus more than their own life. You know, and I've often wondered, we've been on loads of mission journeys in our time, and I've often wondered, you know, <clears throat> would I really stand up? Would I really go to prison? Would I really give my life for the name of Christ? And you'll never know the answer to that until push comes to shove. And, you know, we can't point the finger at anyone over that. But these men had proven that in their life. Therefore, sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, not a sacred lottery, casting lots. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. That's the way they were making decisions from now on. Uh, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And the letter goes on. Uh, just a, one or two things about, uh, you know, blood from strangled um, things in in the marketplace, sexual immorality, uh, and, and one or two other things. And it says you will do well. So this very important letter to the Christian church was a crucial turning point. It was very important for them to take this letter out into the world. And it was the development. It, was, it developed the growth of the church. It opened the way for the Gentile nations to enter the kingdom. And this was, was done by, Sil uh, by uh, Judas. Paul, Barnabas, Silas, but this guy called Judas. So let's just move on a little bit. It says, it carries on, it says this. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, the great church of Antioch in Syria. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. So it says here that Judas, you know, despite what happened to his brother not being chosen uh, on the day of Pentecost or near that, that he continued to follow his ministry. And he had a prophetic ministry. He was a preacher and he was there just the same really in no less way, really, than Paul and Barnabas and Silas. And it says, Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. Nothing had held him back to fulfill his ministry. 
And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. So when you go on mission, you notice that when, when we, anyone's been on mission, they come back, they always give a report to the church. This is where it's from. So they'd been out to the, the great missional church of Antioch. They were supposed to now go back to the mother church, the mothership in Jerusalem. And the apostles were still there, resident uh, at Jerusalem. But this is what happened. It says this, However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. He was having a great time in, in Antioch. But it also says Paul and Barnabas also remained at Antioch. So out of the four of them that went, we know that only one went back and completed that mission. And that was Judas, Judas Barsabas. And Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So we conclude that Judas, this other guy called Judas, was the one who was entrusted alone to return to complete the mission, reporting back to the main church and the main apostles, apostles at Jerusalem. And so we know that this was a great guy. This was, you know, on a par with all the other apostles, this guy called Judas. And there are other ones in the New Testament who were called Judas. So what are the lessons from this other disciple called Judas? Well, he didn't take second offense at his brother not being chosen for ministry. You know what? Um, whenever you step out to do something for God, there's always going to be someone who will say the wrong thing or you know, won't appreciate what you're doing or he'll let you down or you know, uh, put you down. Um, it's par for the course, uh, really, of anything of worth that you do for the Lord, you know, it, it, you ask anyone who's ever done anything for the Lord, was it plain sailing? You know, did it all go to plan? And the answer will, I know the answer will be no. Something, you know, I, I, uh, I struggled and I struggled with this person who's supposed to be on the team and they were, whatever. This person said, you'll never do that. I, 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 I've got those conversations at the back of my mind that I never try to think about of people who said you'll never do this and you'll never do that and you know he never took second offense at his brother not being chosen for the ministry secondly he fulfilled his calling to ministry to the full there was no holding back with this Judas even in the shadow of the great Paul and Barnabas. You know, when I speak, when I hear of all the prophets at the Church of Antioch and uh, the preachers at the Church of Antioch, I always think of Paul. I always think of Barnabas. I always think of others. Apollos. I must admit, I've never thought of Judas as being one of those great guys who were there. Even in the shadow of the great Paul and Barnabas, he delivered his ministry to Jesus and to the people. And lastly, he showed determination to complete the task. How many Christians, how many of us, we've started something, but we've struggled to finish. And we're not very good finishers. And um, it fizzles out. And we, we 
you know, and, um, um, we entertain that, that opposition. We experience that opposition and it, it, it puts us back and it, it, we wither away and uh, we don't see it through to what it should be in Christ. So there's a little tale of the two Judases. I still can't say it. And to conclude, the detail of Judas Iscariot's life is recorded so that we can take heed. I want every one of us to think about our calling. You know, and what, what it really means, not just to maybe wear the badge saying I'm a Christian, but the reality that we are disciples. And there's a cost to worship. There's a cost uh, to following. There's a, there's a, a deeper walk than just you know, maybe turning up for an hour on a Sunday or maybe glancing at the Bible in the week. This is a 24-7 walk with the Lord as one of his disciples. So this is here for us to understand. Uh, not to deny our calling as disciples. Let's not easily think of that name Judas as a derogatory word and take to heart that the Bible records others with this name. Good men of God. My last little line is a question for each one of us. Keep my glasses on so I can read it. What will your name be remembered for? You. 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 Each one of us. What will your name be remembered for? We think about what Judas Iscariot has been remembered for. And we've dug through the scriptures and we found another guy called Judas Barsabas and what he is remembered for. But let's bring it up to date. You know, what will you re be remembered for? Will you be remembered for someone? Uh, have you ever thought what people will say at your funeral? <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe as you get older you might think that. Have you ever thought what people think about you? Have you ever thought about what people will say? Will they say, oh, he's a good guy, yeah, he's all right. Or will he say, yeah, I think he was a Christian. I think he was a, a, a devout follower, actually. Blah, 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 you know. And he, he showed a lot of love, or she, she showed a lot of love, and she, she was selfless in her life. I remember when. What will your name be remembered for? Let's, let's stand, and we're going to finish in prayer. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the, the record of the disciples. And we only, we only have to just delve a little bit and how they are connected and what they did. And we, we've got other writings in history that tell us what happened to some of the disciples afterwards. And we know, Lord, that most of them paid with their life, if not all. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we can remember others who were called by that name of Judas. And yes, it is a mystery. It still stands to me as a mystery why you chose a Judas Iscariot to be part of the team. It gives me heart. It gives us all heart, Lord, to think that, you know, we're not perfect. And sometimes we, we put our trust in people that let us down. But Lord, you showed great grace and mercy 
to that man who betrayed you. Lord, hand on hearts. Let's put our hands on our hearts before the Lord. If you feel that this word has touched you this morning and you want to pray, you want to receive that prayer, you know, I, I want to be a true follower of you, Lord. Uh, ben spoke about being a follower of you. And that's another definition of being a disciple. Someone who follows. They put everything down and they followed you. Everything down and followed you. Lord, if we have our hand on our hearts to receive this prayer, it's for us to search our own hearts. That after these four weeks that we've spoken and shared the word about disciples, that we have been called to be disciples. Search our hearts on a Monday, on a Wednesday night, in the middle of the night, on a Saturday, throughout the week. When those testing times come and the balloon is ready to burst, are we really following you, Lord? So I pray that everyone who's receiving this prayer this morning will search their own hearts and their own calling and be ready to lend a hand to step up and to be kind to others, uh, to hold the love of their Jesus, their Savior, the one who covered their shame, resurrected them from a dead life to a new life. Their love for you will grow. It will grow. It will grow, Lord. And we'll see this church growing uh, with, with ones who are following you deeper in their walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen.